1: Hey guys, and welcome to Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and as always, my dear friend, Melissa. How are you, Melissa? I'm great, Mandy. How are you? Doing great. It's officially 2018, Woohoo. and this is our first episode of the new year. Um, we are back after a very short but much-needed break. Um, just craziness after the holidays and little people going crazy and wanting to play with all their new toys and then having to get back to reality. So it was nice having a little short break, but I'm glad to be back. And we have a kind of a heavy hitter of an episode today with a really important message, which we will get into as we go on and and a little bit more at the end. Um, What do you have to add to that, Melissa? Anything or can we just get going? (laughs) I say we just jump in. Let's do this. All right. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about the kidnapping and murder of real estate agent Beverly Carter. Uh, She was from the Little Rock, Arkansas area. She was great at selling homes and her charismatic personality and big smile helped to propel her career to another level. To her clients, she was more than just an agent and many times would form personal relationships with them. Family members recall times when Beverly would even be invited to a client's wedding or baby shower, and she was just a genuine person with a big heart, and her clients really saw that shine through to them, and they wanted to have her in their lives as uh, a friend as well as their real estate agent. In 2013, Beverly was the top selling agent in her area and clocked in at over $12 million in sales that year, which is quite an accomplishment for being in the central Arkansas area, although to me that sounds like it would be quite an accomplishment for anyone I don't know you know more about real estate than I do but um, that seems like a lot my husband never had a 12
0: million (laughs) dollars yeah
1: no that's great Uh, so her immense success even landed her a billboard with her own face on it which I think is kind of cool I can't imagine being so successful that I had my face on a billboard for other people to see yeah Um, I feel like you definitely have reached your you know a top tier of your career if you have that so yeah that should tell you everything you need to know Uh, So Beverly's closest friends worked with her and they described their office atmosphere as a fun and upbeat um, kind of environment and said that it was just like hanging out with friends all day, which I guess for them... It was hanging out with friends all day. They were all friends. Um, The women in the office had even come up with codes. They had like a buddy system in case any of them found themselves in any kind of bad situation. They would use the uh, word red folder to alert each other if anything felt weird while they were with a client. So for example, they would send text messages to each other saying, do you have the red folder? Or where did you put the red folder? And if they got if they received that message, they would know to send back a message either saying where they were located or to confirm that they were okay or if they needed help or, you know, whatever. I feel like I have have heard of having codes like that with yeah. family and friends and stuff, you know, just we kind had of that like a, just in case. Whenever
0: I was little, um, our code with our family was curtains. So that's like the most random thing, but yeah. as a kid, that's what you make up. My mom always said, if, you know, somebody ever comes up to you and says, you know, you need to ride with us. Your mom's in the hospital. Ask them, the co- ask them, you know, what, what did my mom say to tell you? And if it's really for me, I'll say curtains. Nobody ever thought about her being like unable to speak, but in my mind, like that made me feel better as a kid. And I think that made her feel better as a kid or, or as, as my mom, like yeah. that I wouldn't just go into somebody's car. So I think it's a Kind of a smart idea to have. Yeah. Especially with the little ones, because my son would jump in the van with literally anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a good idea, I think. In addition to being an extremely successful realtor, Beverly was also a beloved wife and mother to three sons, one of whom sadly preceded her in death. The boys had very fond memories of what a vibrant and charming personality their mom had. The youngest son, Chad, described her as radiant and said she had a way about her that just glowed. And you saw pictures and video and she just was like, you, she seemed like somebody, if you saw her in a room, you just saw her. You know yeah, what she I mean? Like, like she take over the room, room. for yeah, sure. Yes, absolutely. As Beverly approached her 50th birthday, she focused on getting into shape and worked her way up to running in 5k races. She ended up losing 60 pounds and decided to celebrate the weight loss with some cosmetic surgery. As a real estate agent, she felt it was a priority to look great and to be a great face for her company. She threw herself a big birthday bash, which she donned a beautiful aqua colored dress and celebrated her many accomplishments with friends and family. One thing I heard about her races that was really funny is that she just loved getting the medals. Like, yeah. she thought It was just like so cool to get these like fake medals. And I can see that if I ever did anything worth running, then <laughs> yeah, you better give me something. I need something.
1: Well, I, um, it's kind of like, I guess, a. Um uh, you know a, a more a larger scale version of getting like a gold star for doing a good job yeah, yeah. like you get a medal for doing for running these 5k's and really i think being uh 50 and and yeah. getting and choosing that time in your life to get into shape you know, to that level and run in 5k races and lose 60 pounds. Like that's really an accomplishment. I can't do that now. And I'm not even, I'm I'm not 50. I'm on a downward spiral. Yeah, I'm know. i not getting better, (laughs) but it gives me hope that maybe when I, uh, um, maybe in another 15 years, I'll be like, that's when it'll all click in for me. And I will then take control of my life.
0: (laughs) Well, you've seen people in life that are like, all of a sudden become really, you know, exercise crazy people like you know like friends or something you're like I would have never thought that about yeah you. but then I look at myself I'm like well I know that's that's not gonna happen right <laughs> I love that people do it I just it hasn't been my year yet no no
1: maybe this year though it's a whole new I'm year. not even trying this year I mean zero
0: <laughs> zero uh what is it called new year's resolutions none I was just like just just don't kill
1: anybody just keep your expectations nice and low keep them low <laughs> On Thursday, September 25th, 2014, Beverly was just about finished with her work for the day, but before she could call it quits and go home, she had just one last thing to take care of she called her husband, Carl, at around 5.30 p.m. that evening to say that she would be home for dinner after she showed a property to a potential client. So this was a client that she had been in contact with for a few days, and they had been asking about this specific property and trying to set up a time to see it. And, uh, Beverly actually, it was a man that she had been speaking to, and she had said that she wasn't really comfortable just meeting him by himself. So, um, eventually after speaking to him, you know, and kind of trying to coordinate this, he was able to get his wife to say, okay, I will go and, you know, also view the property. And right. then that made Beverly more comfortable. So.
0: Well, it makes more sense. It does make sense. Like typically in sales and stuff like that, it's the wife that makes the decision. Right. And so that makes more sense already. Like.
1: What husband's going around buying a house without his wife saying right? Yeah, I like this or kitchen. even coming yeah to see it. I would never let my husband go make the final decision. No. on like buying a house. Oh my gosh, he'd <laughs> live in like a shoe if I did that. <laughs> well, because just just because you know the things that are important to me are not necessarily the things that are important to right. my husband. So like he will overlook things and be like, well, that's no big deal. You know, we'll yeah. take care of that There's after no we closets. move in. I'm good. With <laughs> right, <this. laughs> exactly. So yeah, I totally understand uh, that. So Beverly gave her husband the address of the property that she was going to be showing, and she ended the phone call with him. And unfortunately, this was the last time that she would speak to her husband. Um, you know, they didn't have a clue at that time. But Beverly never returned home after this showing. And when 9 p.m. rolled around, Carl's worry increased. And when he could not reach her, he decided to drive to the address of the property that Beverly had said that she would be at with her clients.
0: When Carl arrived at 14202 Old River Drive, he was relieved to see Beverly's SUV in the driveway. Upon closer inspection, he noticed that Beverly's purse was inside of her vehicle and that the door to the house was open. He stepped inside to search for his wife, but she was nowhere to be found. Carl was puzzled and his worry intensified. He called police to report her missing. His next call was to his son, Carl Jr., who initially brushed off the concern and thought it was par for the course as a realtor. But he decided to appease his dad, so he and his wife drove down to Beverly's office to look for her anyway. They arrived at an empty building, and at that point they agreed that something was wrong. Beverly's co-workers and dear friends thought that a possible explanation was that Beverly had left with her clients to look at another house. So they went to the other properties that were Beverly's listings to check to see if they were there, or if anyone had accessed the lockboxes on them. That would turn out to be another dead end. So years ago when people... Like there weren't Google Maps and all this sort of thing. If you went to see houses, really you like rode with the realtor. That's just kind of what it was. And now like when my husband would show houses, he never had people ride, like very rarely would somebody ever ride with him. And people tend to keep that separate. But my husband never rode with
1: a client that he didn't really know. At some point in the wee hours of the morning, Beverly's husband, who was still working with detectives to find clues, uh, received three text messages from Beverly's phone. So, of course, this gave everybody a moment of excitement and kind of, you know, a renewed like, oh, my gosh, she's everything's fine. This is all going to be okay. Like it was just some misunderstanding and everything's great. That would be a short-lived relief as they realize that the texts just weren't really sounding like they came from Beverly. Which, of course, if you if this is your wife or mom or friend, you're going to know if yeah. the way that they're writing or the style of writing or the w- things that they're saying, if that sounds like the person or not. Right. You know, I think I would be able to tell pretty quickly If I was speaking to my husband or if it was somebody pretending to be my husband. And
0: she's going to know all of the text messages and calls that were to her were, where are you? We're panicked. Are you okay? Are you okay? So she's going to come back with a very... She's going to call. I'm sorry. I'm fine. Right. Exactly. You're not going to
1: just say... I'm doing something else. Right. Exactly. Um, So Beverly's friends also began to get text messages around the same time, and they were just more false reassurances that everything was fine and that her phone had been dead and she was out having drinks with friends now, um, which... Was very unusual for Beverly from what her husband and kids said. She wouldn't just take off and go have drinks and and just act like nonchalant. Like after, you know, everyone's been, it's the middle of the night and everyone's panicking has been looking for her. And then just for her to write back and say, oh, I'm fine. I'm just out having drinks with friends. Her family says that just, that wouldn't happen. That's not something that she would do.
0: And her friends even said like, we're her friends so who are these friends she's right who are you out to
1: drink with yeah yeah, exactly because all of all of us are here searching for you you know waiting for you um so being that everyone knew this did not seem like beverly they all kind of came to the really dismaying realization that someone else was texting from beverly's cell phone and then i can just imagine that the roller coaster of up and down like you know that that getting a message from her had to be like such a relief right. and then having this realization like, oh no That's being taken right. away. Right. And then it just I can't even imagine the roller coaster of emotions. This whole and,
0: story is that way. Yes.
1: And just the confusion and everything. Um, So one of Beverly's coworkers sent a text back to her phone with the code that I had mentioned earlier. And she had the text said, did you put the red folder on my desk? And um, so if this was really Beverly that they were communicating with, Beverly would know to either say, you know, she would either text back with her location or something that would indicate she was in trouble or wasn't in trouble or whatever the case may be. So Beverly didn't reply, and then her coworker sent another one that just said, Well, did you? And there was just no response to those messages right. after that. Um, so of course everybody really started getting a little bit worried. So the next morning, police taped off the driveway to the vacant home that she was showing and began a search that would include more than a hundred volunteers, many of which were fellow real estate agents and investors and different uh, people in that same profession. And the searchers waded through drainage ditches. They went door to door in the neighborhood talking to neighbors, looking for any kind of clues that would lead them to Beverly.
0: As the volunteers searched, police were busy working away at searching the scene for evidence and clues and obtaining copies of Beverly's cell phone records to review the activity in the recent hours. Detective Jeff Allison felt that the details of Beverly's disappearance were quite strange, and he got involved in a case earlier than normal for an adult missing person. He looked over the inside of the vacant home and didn't turn up with much evidence, but he did notice a tire track outside of the home in the front of the door near the front entryway. A neighbor later told the detective that she had looked out her window and had seen a black vehicle pulled in the driveway the previous night, and that when she looked again about 20 to 30 minutes later, there was a white male standing outside and the vehicle had been pulled up to the front door of the home, which would explain the tire track that Detective Allison had noticed earlier. The detectives also searched Beverly's car for clues. When he did, he found a folder in the back seat that contained realtor information and a listing for the home she was showing. Inside the folder was an email address, a phone number, and the name of the couple that it appeared was meeting Beverly for the showing. Detective Allison says he did not call the number right away because his intuition was telling him that Beverly was being held against her will, possibly by the couple she met, and that if her abductor was tipped off that the police were onto them, they might not ever get Beverly back alive. That was a risky
1: move it makes a lot of sense but. it does make sense but, but i mean i can especially imagine as like a family member like you would want them to be like no jump on that yeah and, and and check these people out and everything but i can see how the detective have to be a little bit more reserved with their approach because that's very true if you know if you call this number and you're like hi i'm detective allison i'm looking for the missing person then you're the last one who saw her right you know if that's, she is alive then, right then what are they gonna do exactly that yeah this
0: as we go through this case the whole thing's kind of like this where they're it's very much like i don't know not detective 101 but like they are trained and they know what they're doing and they you know you have so much that you have to make on instincts which i don't think i ever realized before i looked more into true crime like how much how much they're trained versus how much they have to like think on the spot and that decision can really go really good or really bad right i mean it,
1: it it's kind a lot of, of pressure detective allison hit a roadblock while he was investigating the names of the couple written in beverly's folder they were fake as was the email address that they had given to beverly so this piqued the police interest of course and they began digging to find out the real identities behind these people and why did they give beverly fake names and information when Beverly's phone records came back, police discovered that she had made a call to an unidentified number that lasted around 15 minutes on the night of her disappearance. Right. Further investigation revealed that this number belonged to a company called Text Me Incorporated, whose purpose is to provide free text and voice messaging while assigning them a unique phone number. The company complied with requests to release a report that would identify the user behind this phone number. Um, So just a quick note on that. I've never heard of this Text Me Incorporated, but to me it sounds like a service similar to like WhatsApp. Or any of those ones where it's like a free, you know, it doesn't run off of your data. Like it just runs, it's like an app that it runs through, you know, the internet. Um, So that's what I think that is. If I could be wrong, but that's what I gathered from that was that it was just one of those like free texting service apps. Yeah. But then the whole thing about assigning them a unique phone number. That was a little strange to me, and I don't know why that app even exists, or right. why do you need that? To me, it seemed like a stalker-slash-murder app. Like, yeah.
0: why else yeah. do you need
1: to hide your number from people? I Those agree. are your
0: two reasons. That's a
1: little sketchy to me. Um, so the number came back to a woman named Crystal Lowry, and detectives obtained her address and began to kind of stake out her property and, you know, watch her activity. So at some point during their surveillance, police witnessed a male matching the description given by that neighbor um, that they had spoken to on from the street that Beverly went missing from. And the mail that they saw was seen by the detectives getting into a black Ford fusion and driving away. And after he had driven for about three miles, which, of course, the detectives are following him now, this whole thing, uh, he loses control of the vehicle and crashes. And by the time Detective Allison and his partner caught up with him, he had already gotten out of the vehicle. He was bloody. He was just minorly injured. And the officers took him to a hospital for treatment. But when the doctors wheeled him back for a CT scan, he fled the hospital, sending the police on a citywide manhunt Just kind of like a a wild goose chase. Right. Um, So this man was Crystal Lowry's husband named Aaron Lewis, and he was actually no stranger to law enforcement as it would turn out.
0: Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home?
1: Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply.
0: It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated.
1: Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more.
0: So I had asked about this um, CT scan and police not being able to be in the room sort of thing to one of our dear listeners, Kim who has a new podcast coming out called People Are Wild. It previewed yesterday. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, whatever date Monday was, yeah. <laughs> it's out. And it's wonderful. We got to hear a sneak preview, and it's awesome. But I was asking her, like, how does this work? If you have somebody, they're not actually in custody. They're just questioning him. How does it work? And she said that, yeah, if they don't have their paperwork, they're, he's, they're not under arrest, and was more information there, they can't go back. So to me, whenever they said they fled, I thought, Oh my gosh! Like how? How does, how that, does happen? that happen? Yeah. But she, you know, they can only do so much, and the police can only do so much, and you still have rights. You know, he hadn't been
1: arrested at that point, right? He was just suspe- under suspicion. Under
0: suspicion. Mm-hmm. So he, they, the police officer can't go into the CT with them. They can't do all these things. They could have if there is actually like an inmate in the, or if he was like hospital. in police custody. Yeah, right. absolutely. Aaron was born in Ruston, Louisiana. He was a healthy child and raised by his biological parents as an only child. He described his childhood as chaotic and said that he still harbors anger and resentment over his upbringing. In a court-ordered evaluation carried out by clinical psychologist Melissa Denasher, Aaron alleged that his mother would often cheat on his father and drink alcohol to excess. When Aaron was six years old, the infidelity took its toll in his parents' divorce after a two-year separation. What followed was a rocky childhood being bounced back and forth between homes with neither parent expressing genuine love or concern for Aaron. His father quickly remarried, and Aaron had a hard time getting along with his new stepmother, who felt like she had no authority over him despite her efforts to become a motherly figure in his life. After a few more moves back and forth between parents and states, Aaron started displaying behavioral problems, including running away from home around the third grade. When he was 12, he was taken to a residential facility for diagnostic testing where he was prescribed many types of medication, including Ritalin, Prozac, and Lithium. He was never very interested in alcohol, but as a team, he did consume LSD, ecstasy, and meth.
1: Aaron's education and school life was not much better than his home life, and he would often be subject to paddlings in the administrator's office. But despite the disciplinary actions against him, he claimed that he did make good grades and he was involved in advanced placement classes and was just generally a decent student. Upon graduation, Aaron worked in a call center for about six months, and then as a gas station cashier, and finally he landed a job at a cement company in 2014. Eventually, he was fired from the cement plant for refusing to drive a truck, although he did have a commercial driver's license. I can't really think of any reason why he would refuse that, although I wouldn't want to drive a big cement truck No, but
0: But it seems like he kind of wanted to do the easy thing, the easy way out, and that seemed like more work for him, and he wasn't going to do it.
1: Right. He wanted to do things the way he wanted to do them and wasn't going to go the extra mile or do anything he didn't want to do. So he described an adolescence with few friends but many acquaintances and says that he dated many girls but never really considered any of them serious relationships until he was in his early 20s. He has produced two children with two different women and even married the mother of his second child, but the marriage was short-lived, lasting only a few months in 2011. Aaron was reportedly on the run during this marriage, and his wife filed for divorce after he went to prison, and she was then awarded custody of their child. In April of 2014, Aaron married his second wife, Crystal Lowry, who... You'll remember from earlier in the story, that's the woman whose phone number had been in contact with Beverly Carter um, on the night she disappeared. And Crystal had a daughter from a previous relationship, and Aaron thought that marrying her would just make him look good to the court system so that he would basically use it as leverage to obtain visitation rights to his own son, his second son. And Aaron said that he did not have a close relationship with Crystal's daughter and would sometimes do things like throwing water on her if she didn't wake up on time for school. So... That just kind of broke my heart because that poor child in the middle of all of that, like, yeah. you know, and like, oh. He didn't this, really want to
0: marry her. He exactly. Married, he married your mom because it's going to help him and he right. doesn't like you either. That's right. Terrible. That's terrible.
1: That's awful. And shame on Crystal anyway, too, for allowing that. I would oh, never. Yeah. There's no way. So Aaron has not spoken to his own parents since 2011. I had read that his, um, he did contact his father when his first son was born, but his dad didn't really want anything to do with him. And um, Aaron said, in this same interview he was giving to the psychologist that he doesn't have a relationship with his mother anymore because in his, his words, she became a Christian fanatic and he doesn't like how she tries to talk to everyone about Jesus.
0: During his adulthood, Aaron had been involved in many physical altercations that had left him with a variety of injuries. He claimed that he was nearly beaten to death with a brick at the age of 30 while in Mexico, his mother's home country. He also alleged that he was stabbed by inmates in federal prison in 2009. In that attack, he had his ear severed and a lung collapsed. Aaron was first arrested at the age of 17 for bank robbery. He was sentenced to six years for the crime, but was again arrested shortly after his release for dealing in stolen property. From this point on, he was in and out of police custody for various reasons, many of which involved parole
1: violations.
0: So all the information we've shared today about Aaron's history was obtained through
1: public court documents. So getting back to Beverly's case, uh, we left off with Aaron ditching the detectives at the hospital and going back on the run, something that he was all too familiar with. It would not be long, though, before a twist of fate would lead police right back to him. As the word about Beverly's case began to spread throughout the town and Aaron's photo began to circulate in the media, people were on high alert and looking for any signs of Aaron. Aaron. Two managers from a mortgage company were in their office di- discussing the case. Um, they were actually friends, or they knew Beverly right. from you know that profession, so they you know kind of felt a personal connection to the case. Sure. And they were just in their office discussing uh, her disappearance, and they looked out the window and saw who they believed was Aaron standing at a bus stop just a few feet away from them. I don't know what kind of. How weird, like, you have to think you're making that up in your head. Like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I know, or thinking, like, I have to be imagining this just because we're talking about it, and now I'm thinking about it, and there's, I would, I don't... I don't think I'd be a able movie. to think fast enough. Yeah, exactly. No, I'd
0: never. I should never be involved in any of this. I can No, can't
1: help. no. I would just second guess myself to the point where it was like too late to do yeah, anything. Yeah, like, they're <laughs> you know, now like,
0: 50 miles away.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so the men alerted police. Thankfully, they weren't like us. And they realized what was going on. And they alerted police right away. And they kept an eye on Aaron and watched him as he went into a local subway. When he came out of the subway, Aaron overheard someone saying um i think that's him and he spooked and took off running so by this point of course police are already on the way and aaron is now running across the street and into an apartment complex all while being trailed by like five different just plain clothes good samaritans that are trying to keep an eye on him and catch him and police arrived around the same time and they were able to apprehend aaron and begin investigating him and how he was involved in beverly's disappearance
0: did you read where he ran into the apartment complex and jumped off out this, the window? Yeah, jumped yeah. off the window, and yeah, so that'll <laughs> that'll slow you down. I
1: love Good Samaritan stories. Where I do they're too. Like you yeah. know what? I like chase, n- nothing to lose. I'm just going to chase this guy, yeah. and yeah,
0: and- I have nothing to do with this case, <laughs> but I'm on it. Right. I love it. I do too. In his first interview with Detective Allison, Aaron admitted that he had kidnapped Beverly, and it was all because he wanted money. He explained how he had found Beverly on the internet and learned about her success as a realtor and thought she was wealthy. At this point, he hatched out a plan to kidnap her and hold her for ransom. Did you see whenever he was first arrested, there's like one clip where they say, why would you do it? And he said, she's a rich broker.
1: That made me, that made my like skin crawl.
0: Yeah. Almost like he deserved it. Like, right. well, she was a rich broker. Of course I did this. Like, duh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But he was very just like that. Like, eh. Yeah. Like, no no real, it's that's it. It's all
0: about him, yeah. and that's
1: it. As we discussed earlier
0: in this episode, when Aaron actually first contacted Beverly to inquire about a house showing, Beverly told him she wasn't comfortable meeting just him. And that's when Aaron involved his wife, Crystal, in the plot and had her agree to go to the showing with him. At the last minute, Aaron made excuses as to why Crystal would not make it, but he asked her to take some photos of the property to send to her, which explains these... Strange, really dark photos that were found on Beverly's phone by detectives. They just looked like somebody was just randomly shooting them. And this was a vacant home. There's no electricity. So everything is dark anyway. It doesn't make a lot of sense to take those pictures or to see it later at night. Right. Once Aaron had Beverly alone in the house, he made his move to overpower her by threatening her with a flashlight taser and told her today wasn't going to be a good day for her because she was being kidnapped. At this point in the story, Aaron alleged that he had an accomplice and he wasn't talking about his wife, Crystal. He was talking about another man named Trevor, who he claimed was a person who still had Beverly.
1: There's just so much here um, with all this going on and then with his story that he's giving to detectives. I can just imagine, you know, I have so much respect for detectives because I would have no patience for these um, criminals that I'm investigating to be lying to me and telling me these crazy things and like all these different, sending you on all these different you know, paths, like giving you so many things to investigate and, and I can just see how frustrating that could be whenever you just are trying to get to the bottom of it. And at this point you think you're dealing with a missing person, like you're just trying to find this woman. And here comes this guy saying like, well, my wife was involved and now there's this person involved and I did this and we went here and we did, you know, I would be, I would have no patience for that. No. You know, like, I just would not be able to handle that at all. Um, so the detective had a renewed hope that they were going to get to the bottom of it and find Beverly alive. And he was further encouraged when Aaron played a recording that he had on his phone. And it was a recording of Beverly speaking to her husband, Carl, in an apparent ransom message. And in it, she said she was okay and pleaded with her husband not to go to the police and to just do whatever Aaron said or else it could be bad. So this is actually Beverly's voice being recorded. Yeah. Um, so Detective Allison was really hopeful, but he was also leery because he knew that the recording didn't really prove that she was alive now. It right. just approved that she was alive and well at some point after her abduction and right. was able to record this message. Um, but like I said, it didn't really approve that she was alive in that moment, which is what they are trying to get confirmation of. Right. So Aaron eventually offered to take Detective Allison to the last location that he had seen Beverly alive, and they immediately set out on a 30-mile journey out of town that ended at a shed on the side of the road. Beverly was not there, And the detective was defeated, but he humored Aaron on yet another trip to another location that also turned out to be a complete dead end. She wasn't there either. So in the meantime, while Aaron has the police on a wild goose chase, another detective was busy tracking down this guy, Trevor, the alleged accomplice in the kidnapping. They made contact with him and brought him in for hours of interrogation before determining that he had a solid alibi and was not involved in this crime in any way. As it turned out, Trevor was in the military and they were able to confirm that he was on base the day of Beverly's kidnapping. I would be so mad if somebody threw me under the bus and said I was involved in this and I had to go through all this interrogation and like all this, all this, everything. What if you didn't have an alibi? My alibi
0: is always, I'm at home. And no, who can, who can prove that? An eight year old can confirm this. This isn't going to be good for me. Right. (laughs) Well, I did, as you were talking earlier about the detectives being so upset, Detective Allison said... He could not even ride in the car back with Aaron. Oh, I can imagine that he was so upset that they had, you know, driven all these different places. And Such was a just waste playing of time with uh-huh. them. Oh, it just gives me chills. Me too. After wading through all of Aaron's lies, the detective's fears about Beverly's well-being increased dramatically. Detective Allison was running out of options, but he did have one last idea. He remembered the cement plant that Aaron had recently been employed at, and asked Aaron point blank if Beverly was there. At that point, Aaron seemed dumbfounded and got a deer-in-the-headlights look on his face. This told the detective everything he needed to know. Police raced to the plant named Argos and frantically searched for Beverly, hoping to find her alive. It wasn't long after police arrived and began looking around that one officer stumbled on a heartbreaking scene, a human elbow sticking out
1: from a shallow grave. They knew immediately that it was Beverly. So Aaron Lewis and his wife, Crystal Lowry, were arrested on charges of capital murder. Two weeks after his arrest, Aaron changed his story from the one that he had told detectives. He was now saying that Beverly had met him at the house that evening for a consensual sexual encounter that ended up going badly, and claiming that he did not kill her and that anything that did happen to her was purely an accident. Prosecutors knew that this was an extremely far-fetched story and believed that the original account of kidnapping gone wrong was the actual truth. They looked to Crystal Lowry to help build their case, and she agreed to testify against her husband, as well as to plead guilty to murder and kidnapping in exchange for a reduced sentence of 30 years. Good for her, but...
0: Yeah, it's always tough, because you want the mastermind, you want all that, but then there's whoever is the accomplice. To get that information, a lot of times they have to give... they, have, they to have to give, to give them give some something. kind of incentive. Yeah. Right. This is so upsetting. The whole his second story just broke my heart for the family Me because too. they have to sit in the courtroom and hear all these lies. They know it's lies, but right. he can say whatever he wants, and it's such garbage. Like he
1: wants. right, exactly. Um, and as soon as I like, I even when I was um, researching and found that part where he had tried to say that that's what it was that she was meeting up with him for yeah. like for sex. Like I was like, whatever. That is so. That's just. It blows my mind that someone would think to like go there with it. You've already done so much damage and
0: now you're taking her name and her family and And her her reputation reputation, and everything, everything she worked so hard for to try and save your butt. I don't really get like, I think he just wanted to hurt them again. He's just somebody that wanted to hurt people. Honestly, that's what I think. Yeah.
1: And had absolutely no remorse or sympathy about any Mm -hmm. of it. No.
0: So, in January of 2016, Aaron went on trial and a jury was able to hear Crystal's side of the story. She testified that the idea to kidnap someone for ransom was all Aaron's, but that it was her suggestion to look into real estate agents. She said that on the night of Beverly's kidnapping, she was in class for nursing school and Aaron sent her a photo text of Beverly bound in the trunk of his car. She was going to be a nurse. That's terrifying to me as well. Like, I know. Uh, in a position to care for people, and she treated someone like garbage and she she knew about it at any point when she got that when she got that text she could have immediately ended the whole thing called 911 yep changed the whole outcome of all of this yeah this whole story gives me chills and I agree I know it's very sad there's like the crimes of passion and those are terrible but it's like a snap decision whenever it's like this planning and just terrible like just they could care less about humanity or, you know, humans or people in their families and they just don't care. I, I, It's rough for me. When she got home from class, Aaron was at their home with Beverly locked in the bathroom. Their plan to either rob Beverly or hold her for ransom began to unravel when Aaron realized that he had left Beverly's purse with the ATM card in her car back at the property
1: he had abducted her from. This kills me. I just have no words, okay? It goes back to, you know, several episodes we've done where I talk about dumb criminals who are, clearly, they haven't really planned anything out or even thought things through. And, like, this is just a very, first of all, stupid plan because of what the plan was in the first place. Right. But then you can't even get, like, the part of it right that you were trying to do. I mean, that was your whole point was to, to take, you know, you wanted money and you wanted to rob her and you forgot the most important thing, her debit card. You left it there in her car. Right. Like... Really? Yeah. You know? this was all for naught already. So he decided he had to go back,
0: but when he arrived back at the scene, it was already crawling with police. This part upset me. And
1: an officer even stopped Aaron
0: as a routine part of the investigation, not knowing that he was the perpetrator.
1: I feel so bad for that officer because I can't imagine how guilty I would feel. And just bad, you know, me personally. I would just feel awful if I... if. I realized that after the fact, like, Oh my gosh, I actually made contact with him that same night.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, right after this had happened and and while Beverly was still alive back at his house and what could have been different if we had known, you know, that we were actually looking for this guy at the time.
0: But yeah, that's the whole thing is no one, no one knew he, no one had any idea if anybody should feel bad it should be crystal
1: <laughs> yeah but well, you know this, she should definitely feel yeah. bad
0: <laughs> but this police officer like yeah totally innocent to this and just is thinking he's helping people and saying you know keeping people off the road and saying we're we're conducting a search blah 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 if you see anything tell us they had no reason to believe anything with him
1: yeah so crystal further testified that when aaron returned home again the two of them felt like they were out of options and Beverly had been in the couple's bathroom, and that's where Crystal kept her medications, her prescription medications. And they were scared because they knew that meant that Beverly could have seen these bottles and known what Crystal's name, you know, first and last name was. And and therefore would be able to identify them by face and name to the police. Right. So it was at this point that the couple agreed that they had to kill Beverly to solve this problem. The snafu that they created. Exactly. Um which I just don't understand because you know, you always have the option to just let her go yeah. and suffer the consequences of kidnapping which are bad, but they're not as bad as murdering someone. No.
0: And you're not taking somebody from their family. Exactly. You know, there's I just wish these people would play worst case scenario. <laughs> right. Like, this is what happens. Like let's watch this option play out all
1: the way. Right. And obviously you're not, you know, I don't think the plan as you know, according to Crystal's testimony, if we if we believe what she says, there wasn't it wasn't a plan to murder um, right. to murder her to start off with, um, and so that wasn't planned out, and so that kind of explains why it was kind of sloppy, you yeah. know, because it wasn't really part of the plan. They really just did plan on holding her for ransom and possibly collecting however much money they assumed that she had, yeah. um, which by the way, they didn't even do any background research into that. They didn't even know yeah. what she had available, which turned out wasn't really that much. Um, you know, so I just think it's so, it's just really incredibly sad that they had to, they felt they had to turn, like, to take it to that next level. Like, well, we've already kidnapped someone, so now let's just go on and murder someone. Yeah. You know, I don't see how you go make that leap. I don't
0: know how you make that first leap, though. So I guess if you're willing to make that first leap to kidnap it's somebody, not too far it's to go. not a big yeah. jump. Yeah. They're all about self-preservation. They want to steal her money because they didn't work for it, but they think they're to it. Oh, right? right. And then they're going to
1: cover their butts poorly. But that's what they're going to do.
0: They just care about themselves.
1: I still don't even know what your plan is, I guess. So what do they think that even if they got even if the ransom idea went off without a hitch and they were able to collect, you know, clean her out and clean out her bank account. And then what you let her go and you assume she's not going to tell the police that right. you robbed her, kidnapped her and everything. It's just a really bad thought out yeah. you know it's just very poorly thought out I don't I don't feel like I mean if that ever happened to me I'd be very thankful to get out of it alive but I'm definitely going to the police yeah. I'm not just going to give you all my money and then be like okay yeah like, you know
0: yeah I, I don't know of any stories I've ever heard where they're like you know what I'm not going to say anything I'll, I've got your back on this yeah one. no yeah that doesn't but happen you deserve
1: it you deserve it
0: right like, you've made all these decisions you deserve what you get
1: so after the couple had made the decision that they were going to murder Beverly uh Erin drove her to the cement plant Sorry guys, this part is really rough. Um, he wrapped her face in green duct tape and just let her suffocate before placing her in a shallow grave. Um, I'm I'm glad it wasn't like a violent murder because you know, but that's really bad. I mean, I think that's very, you know, I know murder wasn't in the plan to begin with, but um, that's I can't imagine. I just can't imagine Beverly's, um, you know, thoughts in that moment and like just I can't imagine how scared you would be, you know, and that just I. Her last moments being that horrifying, like it just really bothers and me. And in to the even hands of that, that
0: guy, is right. just so upsetting.
1: So at the trial, Aaron changed his story yet again and alleged that it wasn't even him uh, that Beverly was having sex with; uh, it was his wife, Crystal. So now he's now claiming he's even taking it a step further, yeah, which just goes back to like just being so irritated with someone doing this to her family, like after they've already done enough to wreck their lives. And this is just all so unnecessary. But Aaron claimed that Beverly had died during some sort of sexual act with Crystal and that um, he was only, his only role in this was that he was just trying to protect his wife and um, cover her butt for her so that she wouldn't go to jail. So uh, when prosecutors kind of had asked him to explain then the recording of Beverly uh, telling her husband, she had been kidnapped, which that doesn't line up with his story right. of, of a sexual encounter yeah um he Aaron testified that he actually um did that just to confuse everyone he synthesized Beverly's voice and created um this message himself so why would you do that because then everybody thinks if you've done a good enough job
0: which apparently he sounded did. just like her yeah like, yeah then everybody
1: thinks you kidnapped her that doesn't make any sense that still makes that actually sense. hurts no. you more that doesn't make sense right Um, So the jury went to deliberate, and after only an hour, they came back with a verdict, and Aaron Lewis was found guilty of kidnapping and capital murder and given two life sentences in prison. So this is not even – so this Aaron guy, he is a real piece of work, and he really thinks highly of himself and thinks that he is really, really, really intelligent because on top of – claiming that he um, completely, like, synthesized this ransom message. He did such things in j- from his jail cell. He would actually handwrite his own motions to the court and submit them. Yeah. And at one point, he even wanted to, like, fire his attorney because, I guess, he thought he could do a better job. Right. And, and he would even, you know, that's when he started writing his own, just motions. Um, when I say that, I mean, like, he would write, like, motions to dismiss certain evidence. Right. And, like, <laughs> it just makes me laugh because I'm like, who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? Well- But so much of that to me seemed like he just wanted, he knew that if he fired his attorney, that buys him more time before he can even be tried again. Like, he just wanted to hurt these people. I really believe this. He wanted to just hurt these people over and over and over again. And he saw them as, like, wealthy or whatever. And he just wanted to hurt them as much as he possibly could.
1: Well, I think he did. I mean, it was terrible what he did to that poor family. And you know, even just to hear Beverly's sons talking about, like, all, everything that they went through and, you know, everything that their mom went through. I mean, it really is it's, – it's terrible. I can't imagine going through anything like that. Um, and I, it just makes me ragey to think of, like, a mm-hmm. one person doing that, like, to an entire family. Yeah. You and know, and over nothing. Over – because you can't, I mean – Get a second job. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It
0: was all just selfish. So with that, with the family, I got to look a little bit into the um, Beverly Carter Foundation, which they started after their mom was killed. Um, Beverly's son, Carl and Chad, actually started the Beverly Carter Foundation, and the foundation looks to provide realtors with the resources they need to protect themselves from potentially dangerous situations they may encounter while on the job. The foundation provides classes as well as written resources for little to no charge. The family looks at it as an opportunity to share their memories of their mom and make a difference in a a job that she really loved to do. And so as I was like looking at this part of it, I ended up in like a rabbit hole videos of the family and just hearing more stories about her and what a wonderful woman she was and just the world seems a little less bright without her, really. Like there's so many people where, you know, you just think of what an impact she had on all these people in her life and it just... it's very upsetting.
1: Yeah, so you guys can look up the Beverly Carter Foundation. There's a lot of information there, and um, then there was also another thing. I realized as we were going through this case that I had a local connection who um, kind of was really perfect to bring on to talk a little bit um, about this type of situation. She's a real estate agent here in Florida, and she also is Um, a very big advocate for personal safety and um, self, you know, protection. Right. So we did talk to her and we are going to play a little bit of our uh, quick little interview with her um, talking about her company called Safer Agent, which is uh, has a goal of preventing exactly this type of crime that happened to Beverly Carter. It's geared toward keeping real estate agents safe on the job, as well as any other field um, kind of employee who has to go into other people's homes as part of their you know position right um so you guys will get to hear a little bit about that she's a really great lady and um i will let you just listen to her take on her own company and what she does so you've just heard our episode on the tragic murder of beverly carter a real estate agent in arkansas And today I had a special guest I asked to be on with us. Her name is Andy Tolbert. She is a local connection that I had um, that I have seen around in various different groups um, for personal safety and self-defense. And I thought she would be a perfect person to have on today to talk to us because she actually has a company called Safer Agent that she founded. Why don't you go ahead and tell us um, a little bit about your company, Safer Agent, and what it is that you do?
2: Well, we are... We're actually approved by the Florida real estate commission. We teach CE classes specifically on the topic of realtor safety in Florida. We just got approved in Alabama a few months ago. We've taught in Georgia as well. And we're about to expand all over the country because this is a topic that a lot of people don't place a lot of importance on. It's one of those, it'll never happen to me things, but when it happens, it happens.
1: Right. So, Uh, I understand that you provide uh, in-person training and that you are hoping to start doing some online type of training. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what kind of training it is that you provide and what you're hoping to do in the new year with um, expanding your company to uh, more across the U.S.?
2: Well, I actually hired a videographer and stood in front of a camera for about four ended up to be about almost six hours by the time we were done. And that's all being edited as we speak. So basically I took one of my CE classes, recorded it, and we're breaking it down into an online, we're putting it into an online learning management system. So it's, you know, it can have little quizzes. We can give them a certificate of completion at the end. Um, Some of the states will allow us to get that approved for CE credits. So we'll be working on all that too, but that won't be immediate. That'll be down the road.
1: So you are also a real estate agent, and uh, this is something I'm sure that's very important to you, uh, safety of real estate agents, as much as uh, just general personal safety is important to you. Uh, How did you come to this decision to start Safer Agent um, in the first place?
2: Kind of a couple different things, just like the perfect storm, like we're having this wonderful snowstorm in Florida right now. Yeah. (laughs) I, I've been a real estate instructor teaching real estate classes and CE classes for almost 20 years. And then in my personal life, I was also learning a lot more about self-defense and safety because I had a little close call run-in. I'm also an investor. I buy and flip houses. We've been doing that almost 20 years, too. And I had a personal situation where we uh, came in on a bad situation, let's just say, at a vacant house and that kind of spurred me to improve my own personal safety and self-defense plan. And then it was just kind of logical for those, my my real estate teaching and my personal safety to kind of come together. And that's where Safer Agent came from.
1: That is awesome. Melissa's husband um, is actually in real estate as well. So um, it's obviously something that, you know, we think is really important too. And then especially the more that I started researching this case and it was just really heartbreaking and it just seemed so... Uh, you know, n- not everything is avoidable, but it just seemed like with this case that it was, um, it could have been avoidable. And so that was kind of one of the things that struck me about this case and really uh, bothered me a lot was that, um, you know, the the training and the tools are out there for protecting yourself and for personal safety. And um, I just think it's really important for people to seek those out and to learn about it and different ways to protect themselves. And so Uh, What are some of the tools that you um, train or that you teach people how to use or options that you give them for keeping themselves safe?
2: Well, we talk about a lot of different, we like to call them less than lethal options, things like pepper sprays and stun guns. The challenge with any type of a self-defense tool is they all have situations where they're the right choice and situations where they're the wrong choice. So obviously, if somebody's grabbed me from behind and has me in a chokehold, I'm probably not going to want to spray him with a pepper spray because I'd also be spraying myself in the face. So that's not the right tool for that situation. So one tool really isn't enough. You have to have different things and different abilities depending on the situation you find yourself in. The, uh, The biggest thing that I can tell people is it's not... It has nothing to do with the tool that's in your hand. It has to do with your mindset. Hmm. Because I can have a pepper spray in one hand and a gun in the other, but if my brain never says it's time to activate and use them, they're worthless. They're chunks of plastic and metal. But I could have nothing in my hand, and if my mind says it's time and I need to kick in and fight, then I can start looking around for tools that I could use. You know, you can pick up a rock. You can pick up, I carry one of those big metal silver Yeti coolers like a lot of people do nowadays. That's a weapon if you think about it. Right. If you cock somebody upside the head with that, they're going to know you're serious. So a lot of it is just the, the mindset and being ready. Like one time I was showing a house to a friend of mine who was buying. And as we were walking to the front door, a dog came running up and it was... I've had dogs all my life. I know the difference between the pet me dog and the I'm about to attack you dog. This dog was coming at us. And I had my pepper spray in my hand like I always do. And I, I didn't even need to spray it. I just turned towards him and he could read my body language as I was bringing the pepper spray up into position. He read my body language and turned around and ran. It I didn't even need to spray him. Wow. And that's the biggest thing. With both animals and with people, there are... There's signs that they give that they're about to attack, but there's also body language cues that tell them, I'm not the right choice. Hmm. Bad guys and animals are looking for a weak victim, you know, survival of the fittest. The lion doesn't go after the strong gazelle. The lion goes after the old one with the limp because he knows it's a more likely catch. Criminals look for the same thing. So we need to just show that that's not us. And we can do that through how we carry ourselves, our our body language, our posture, our attitude, even even our walking pace makes them not want us. You need to walk down the street like you're going somewhere with a purpose, not wandering aimlessly.
1: Yeah, that's all really um, great points. So most of what you teach then is uh, situational awareness and just how to keep yourself out of situations that could be potentially dangerous or at least, uh, be able to recognize a situation before it escalates to that level and get yourself out while you still have a decent opportunity to do so. Um, so that's just really, really important. And, um, that was kind of why I just wanted to ask you to be on the show because uh, like I, I told you when I messaged you, uh, personal safety is really important to me and uh, I think it should be to more people. I think a lot of people are interested, but they'll you know, they think like, oh, it would be great to take some classes or it would be nice if I knew how to do certain things, but then they never actually take the step to do it. So I hope that having you on talking about this will encourage people, not just real estate agents, but everybody really, you know, moms, women, men, everybody to um, take that next step and take a class or, really? you know, learn a little bit about like different options that you have. I know a lot of people, you know, they hear the term self-defense and they think like, you karate? know, guns or oh. you're talking about <laughs> karate was my first, no. um, but I think a lot of people think they, they go to that first. And so then they get freaked out and they're like, Oh, that's not for me. I don't want to do that. And people don't realize that there are a lot of other options. And then even if you're not really the type of person or you're not quite there yet where you want to carry an actual weapon, uh, that there are still things that you can do to protect yourself and to keep yourself out of trouble. So um, I know that's what you do. I've uh, followed you on Facebook for quite some time now, I think probably about a year or so. And um, I know that you have many things going on in your life and in your um, professional life, especially I, I can tell you wear many hats and do Many different things. Um, so, for the people who live in Florida and uh, that are here in Central Florida, even, do you want to tell them where they can find you if they are interested in getting training?
2: Well, anywhere they can go to saferagent.com or to the safer agent Facebook page. Uh, by the way, the .com is under construction, so don't judge me on it right now. <laughs>
0: we're we're, we're judge free. Right <laughs>
2: Yeah, we're bringing out all these new cool things, but I've got to rebuild the website so we can get the videos and everything up in there. Um, you know, locally, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm uh, Facebook safer agent. Message me there. I respond pretty quickly as long as I'm not in the middle of something. We do. You know, here in Central Florida, we coordinate self-defense classes. We coordinate hands-on classes. We've done anti-carjacking classes. We've done all kinds of different specific topics. Um, Especially real estate agents, we're in our cars a lot. So that's a whole different level of risk that we put ourselves at. Honestly, any professionals who are out in the field a lot, anybody who goes into homes like home health care aides or any type of a sales rep that goes into people's homes, they're putting themselves at a a different level of risk than a normal person that just goes and sits at a desk from nine to five that has a different kind of risk. You know, we have a lot of office violence situations now. So there's, that's a whole separate training. So you're that for we've everyone. For, yeah. <laughs> Got all the bases we, do, covered. we do non-real estate agent training as well. The real estate is just kind of our, our flagship, but we've, we've gone into nonprofit groups. We've gone into insurance companies. We've gone into all kinds of different companies and done safety training.
1: For those listening, if you are here in Central Florida, like I said before, Andy has
2: a lot of different things
1: going on in that realm as far as personal safety. And, um, learning how to use different tools. So if you are looking for somebody to teach you a few things, you should definitely look her up. I'm sure she would be happy to show you around. <laughs> She's not giving tours, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> tours of safety. <laughs> you won't we find can that on on a map. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming thank on, you. Andy. Um, I'm really excited to be able to play this. I think, um, this is the perfect episode to have this on, um, something that's very important to
0: both of us and our listeners i think we'll really enjoy this so thank you so much
2: yeah
1: okay guys thank you so much for listening to our episode on beverly carter uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it we have uh, an exciting hopefully next few weeks coming up for you guys we have been working hard on our big interview with i mom so hard we're still ironing out details with that um, but it's definitely happening at some point. <laughs> we're just trying to figure out when. We're putting it into the universe. Yes, it's definitely happening. <laughs> we're still in contact. They've been really busy too, just like all of us have over the holidays. So now everyone's kind of getting back into um reality here and, yeah. and work and everything. So um They're
0: like pilot season busy and we're just yeah like regular life. Yeah,
1: they're busy. like actually busy. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we are gonna get them um as soon as they are available. We are really not picky. Um, whenever they're ready, <laughs> we'll be ready for them. We're the <laughs> desperate girlfriend that nobody wants. Yeah. Just love me. Yes. Um, so anyway, we will, um, I guess, be working on, we haven't done any on my datelines or anything lately. Um, we haven't given up on hashtags, though. We just don't have any right now. We've been so busy, and you guys have been busy, and everyone's been busy. So we will be back to our normal thing soon, hopefully. Whatever normal is right. for us. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.